Thanks for listening to the Church at Severn Run Messages podcast. You can find more information about the church at severnrun.com. Enjoy the message. Before I get started this morning, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, and Lord, I am so grateful for your hand being upon this church, and Lord, just their their spirit of hospitality and serving. Lord, I am so grateful just to meet new brothers and sisters uh, in the body of Christ. So Lord, I pray that this morning, Lord, that you will speak to each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. Lord, let us identify the areas in our life where we're not trusting you and to put our full faith and trust and confidence in you. Father, we thank you so much. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I am so grateful to be here. I brought my beautiful wife with me. Uh, she's here with me. I tell you, yesterday was a, um, it was a marathon for us. Uh, I take jujitsu, so I had a jujitsu test yesterday. And right after the test, we, oh, we got some jujitsu people in here. There you go. There we go. We can grapple a little bit after church. All right about that. No? Okay. All right. My wife and I, we jumped in a car, drove straight to Atlanta, got on a 10 o'clock flight, flew directly right into to Dallas, almost missed a flight, got right into our hotel, hotel room, somebody else was sleeping in our bed. We went to another one. <laughs> it was crazy. But it was, we, am I lying, baby? And somebody, we went to the room and the guy came up. He was like, yeah, can I help you? We was like, we're supposed to be in this room. He said, oh, okay. He went back to sleep. But it was good. We had a, we had a, we had a really good time. And, uh, but we're grateful to be here. Uh, grateful to be just among other believers uh, and to share the word with you. And I love, I love, love the name tags. Uh, this is a great idea, John. I may steal it from you guys. And because uh, I, I take my kids all the time. We go somewhere like Starbucks or something. They say, what's your name? I say, Rambo. <laughs> Rambo, we got a coffee. Good. So I love, I love the name tags. But let, let's talk just a little this morning uh, in scripture. Uh, we're going to be going to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22. But I think sometimes before we go into that story, I just want to explain a little bit about my life. Because I think, you know, as believers, sometimes we see people in, 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 in a position in life and we think, man, they haven't had to deal with anything and God just kind of exalted them to that place. And, uh, but man, that hasn't been the case for my life. I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. I loved my family. I had uh, three sisters and one brother, and uh, I loved everything about my family. We stayed in a small little shotgun house. It was probably about the size of this section right here, and, uh, and I loved my family. As a matter of fact, when I was a child, I remember my father, he used to work at a steel mill, and uh, he would come down, and he would walk to work and walk back, and Every day as a, a young boy, I would see him walking home, and he had a big steel toe boots, and I'd see him walking home, and as a young boy, I would run up to him and embrace him and just love on him, and then we'd go play a good game of kickball, and I loved my dad. But after a while, my life started changing drastically. Well, my dad, you know, he would come home and, you know, he'd have a beer every now and then, but then that, 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 that particular beer turned into marijuana, from marijuana to cocaine and from cocaine to crack cocaine, and I saw my family really slide down a hill very, very quickly. And as a young man who loved his father, loved and adored him, I didn't have someone to help give me that affirmation as a man. All young men need that. You need a man to pour inside of you and to help you to become the man who God had created you to be, and when you don't have that, 
you turn somewhere else. And for me, that somewhere else was the streets. So I got out in the streets, and I started doing everything and anything that I just really felt like doing. And, and at the age of 17, I knew that I was going to be dead, in jail, or on drugs. One of the three things were going to happen to me. And so I, I said, i got to get out of here. I've, I've got to find somewhere where I can get a sense of relief from this place. If it, because if I can just get away, I think I'll be okay. So I joined the Marine Corps. There you go. We got another Marines in here? Any other Marines in here? None? Oh, man, here we go. I got to get some Marines in this church here. Man, I joined the Marine Corps. I said, where else can I do everything that I've done on the street and get paid for it? So I, I, I got in the Marine Corps. And I loved everything about it. I love the physical fitness. I love the camaraderie. I love the, the challenge of it. I love, I mean, just everything about it. I just really, really enjoyed the Marine Corps. But how many people know just because you change your location and your mind never changes, you're still the same person. And so after a short time, after coming back from the Persian Gulf War in 1990, uh, I started getting into a lot of trouble. I started hanging out with the wrong crowd, started drinking and clubbing and just everything that came up under that umbrella. And I had my first sergeant call me in and he called me in and he says, Corporal Bevel, he says, I know what you're doing on your off time. I know what you're doing. You know why you're not here. I know who you're hanging out with. I know where you're going. He said, if you don't stop it, we're going to court-martial you. And for those of you that don't know, a court-martial means you could possibly go to a federal penitentiary. And I said, all right, first sergeant, being a 19-year-old, I went back out there. I switched some things up a little bit and started doing things differently. And uh, he called me back in about two weeks later. He says, didn't I tell you not to do that? He says, stand at attention. So I stood at attention. He says, you got the right to remain silent. Anything you can or say will be used against you. I said, stop, you don't have to do that. He said, yes, I do, I have to do that. Because people like you will not understand until you have to finally face the consequences. You see, this was the first time in my life that I've actually had to face the actual consequences of my actions. So I went back to my barracks room, and I thought about three things. The first thing I thought about was running away. I said, I'm just going to fill up my car with gas and just drive as far and as fast as it could take me. Second thing I thought about, I said, you know what, I just, you know, I just, I'm just tired of living. You ever had an instance where the devil just took you to a place and just dropped you off? And said, you're not worth it anymore. People don't love you anymore. Look at you. And that's what he was doing to me. You're not even worth living. Life isn't even worth living anymore. That's what I felt like. I said, no, I can't do that. And so the next thing I thought about is something my mom always told me. She said, son, the day that you hear the Lord's voice, don't harden your heart. And I got down on my knees in that room. And I said, God, if you're real, if you're real, I need to know right now. And it was just like the scripture says, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And man, I'm telling you, something was different. My mind was changed. And I got up from there and I felt renewed, revived, but guess what? Everything around me was still, still happening. So I got up. Still being interviewed, still being questioned. You know, I had a little spotlight on me, and they were asking me questions, trying to make me. I said, you know, I'm just going to man up. Just, hey, this is it. I was walking in a Walmart parking lot. 
two weeks after that, and I saw three guys walking toward me. I said, you know, hey, I'm from the hood. So, hey, three guys walking toward you at night, it's on, all right? So I'm walking toward them, and they're walking toward me, and they say, hey, can we talk to you for a second? I said, yeah, what you can talk to me about? He said, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I said, I don't, but I need to. And I gave my life to Jesus right there in that Walmart parking lot in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Amen. I tell anybody, you can get anything at Walmart. You're going you're to give your life to Jesus at Walmart. Amen. And from that moment on, God started changing my life. It was like he said, you know what? Now you're ready to be used. And this is the part of the story where I stopped in the last service. But I'm going to give you all a little bit of rest of the story. All right. After that particular day, came back to my room and things were different. And a lady shows up to our base. Her name is Gunnar Sharn Joyner. And Gunnar Sharn Joyner shows up. She says, are you Corporal Bell? I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She says, well, my nephew is here in your unit, and uh, he wanted me to come talk to you. And she said, I've heard about your story. I've heard about the things that you've gone through, and I just want to let you know that they've dropped all the charges on you, and I'm here to send you wherever you want to go. She sent me 6,000 miles away to Japan. But it was in that particular place God really started showing me what it really meant to be a man, how to read the Bible. I met my wife. I mean, everything just started happening. And it was almost like God was just saying, all right, I've got somewhere for you to be. I've got somewhere for you to be. You've got to keep up. You've got to keep up. You've got to do exactly what I've told you to do. And God was just showing me so many things. I graduated high school at a 1.8. One of the things I am very not proud of. Matter of fact, my wife can tell you, the first time I showed up on a college campus, they looked at my transcript, and they took it, and they passed it around. They were like, you had a lot of fun in high school, didn't you? I was like, thank you for the encouragement. (laughs) And I said, Lord, would you help me to be a witness and a testimony to other people? After almost court-martialing me, the Marine Corps said, now you are leadership material, okay? You almost put me in jail. Now you're going to tell me I'm leadership material? They sent me to college for four years. I'm on the college campus smiling because I cannot believe they allowed me to come on the college campus. And I I major in computer engineering. Can you imagine a person with a 1.8? I didn't have any sense. So a person with a 1.8 major in computer engineering, the two don't make sense. They don't make sense. But God says, you know what? I'm just going to use you. You just abide in me. Abide in you, ask what you, and it shall be done unto you. And, and the more I abided in Christ, the more things just start happening. And then, you know, I started using the things that God taught me on the street. And, and I'm going out and I'm talking to drug dealers and prostitutes. And people are getting saved on the power. I'm like, Lord, I need to study, Lord, because I, you know, I got a 1.8, God. I need to study. He says, you just do what I told you to do. I'll take care of everything else. You need to study. <laughs> yes, don't, don't get me wrong. You need to study. All right. <laughs> kids, Pastor Ken said, I don't need to study. He, I just call upon the Lord. No, study. <laughs> Called upon the Lord. He answered. Called. He answered. Called. He answered. Everything was just falling in place. And by the time I got ready to graduate, my wife can tell you, I graduated at the top of my class. <laughs> it's not because of me had nothing to do with me. God said, if you do what I told you to do, I'll take care of everything else. You just do what I called you to do. 
And then we leave from there. I go and I, I'm, I go back to the military. I'm a commissioned officer now. No one in my family has ever did that before. And I go and I'm, I'm serving one of the generals and I do that for two years. And then I go get my master's degree and, and all these incredible things are starting to happen. And then I go to this church and they're talking about making movies. I said, a church making movies? Are you serious? You know, a church making movies. And I, and I go there and they say, well, uh, we, you know, we're talking about these movies called Facing the Giants and you know, and this is what we've done. And my wife and I took the movie home and, and, uh, and we watched. I was like, babe, we got to watch. You know, I, I, hate, I hate it watching Christian movies. It's <laughs> cheesy and bad acting. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like yeah, that's what I thought. You know, that's what I thought. So we took the movies home. We said, we got to at least watch about five minutes of it just to say we watched it. So we took it home and plugged it in. And we're just sitting there just boo-hooing like little babies. And, um, but the Lord used those movies all around the world to change lives. And I don't know how he did it because I'm not an actor. I've never acted a day before in my life besides being a tree in a preschool play. I have never <laughs> acted. I'm serious. I'm serious. Let, see, you guys don't get the gravity of this. Let me, let me explain this for you, okay? All right. What, what sport do you like? Basketball, okay? What's your name? Huh? Lawton. Okay, Lawton. All right. This is like them coming down, seven run. I said, Lawton, we're getting ready to play a championship game tomorrow. And since we know you like basketball, we're going to put you in in the first quarter. And Lawton's like, what? Man, you're going to do? That's how I felt with the movies. <laughs> That's how I felt. But the more I called on God, the more he answered. The more I called, the more he answered. And he gets all the glory. He gets all the glory. But I want to kind of talk about this morning, going back to our scripture. What do you do? In those cave moments in your life. You know, that moment I just explained to you where I was in that barracks room and uh, things started, you know, kind of getting toxy-turvy. And I started hearing some things, had to face some consequences in my life. And, and I was in this cave in my life. And that cave represents a place in your life where you're isolated. No one's there for you. It's just you and the Lord. So let's go to the scriptures. And before I talk about this particular script, I have to set it up for you. Because in 1 Samuel chapter 20, David, David, who is now preparing to become king of Israel, is wondering why Saul is, is accusing him and assaulting him. He's saying, well, you know, he's asking his son Jonathan. He's like, what have I done? You know, I'm not, you know he's attacking me. You know, he, he's after me. You know, what is it that I've done to him that it has caused him to be this way to me? You know, I thought our relationship was good, but Saul understands that David will soon be the coming king of the children of Israel. And that God has been displeased with Saul, and he says, you know what, David's going to be the new king. And so Saul is actually out to kill him. Jonathan realizes this. He sends, you know, uh, he sends David away. And as he sends David away, David runs to a number of places. One of those places was a place called Gath, which was owned by the Philistines. Now, you got to remember, you, David had just slew Goliath, who was a Philistine. And so David goes back to the Philistines and there in Gath, and they say, well, isn't this the same David who killed Goliath? Isn't this the same guy? They're like, yes, this is the guy. So David acts like a madman. He's slobbering all over his beard, and he runs away, and he runs to a place called the Cave of Adullam. And that's where our scripture picks up for this morning. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 through 2, it says, So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him and he became captain over them. Now, there were about 400 men with him. And when I read that story, I said, yeah, that's a pretty cool story. I said, but God, there's something missing in that story. Okay, I, I hear about David going to the cave of Adullam, and then I hear about the men being joined unto him. But, but God, what happened while he was in the cave? What, what happened when he was at his lowest point by himself? God, God you, 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 you left something out of the story. Because the honest truth about it is all of us want to know how do we make it through the tough times in our lives? Where is it? And God answers. Turn to Psalms 57. Psalms chapter 57. This is David's response in the cave. And if you're looking at the slide, that back portion of the slide is actually the cave of Adullam where David was hiding. David runs to this cave, and if you can just picture it in your mind, a dark place. If anybody's ever been in a cave, dark place. It's wet, humid. And David's probably peering out of the side, just wondering if he's going to be found out, if people are coming, his, his senses are probably at their peaks. And so he's listening, and he's, and, he's, and he's talking, and he's looking, and, you know, he's wondering, is this going to be the end or not? And like him, like many of you, bad news has come in your life. You've got cancer. And that puts you in your cave. Your wife left you. Your husband left you. And that puts you in your cave. You can't have children. That puts you in your cave. You got a family member who dislikes you. That puts you in your cave. And you're in a place where you can't even see the daylight. You can't talk to anybody because no one understands where you are. And there's no one there but you and God. And I can picture David sitting there, but in his loneliness, Look at what he says in the scriptures. He says, be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me. For my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes. I will cry to God most high, the God who accomplishes all things for me. I will send from heaven and he will save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. Selah. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. My soul is among the lions and I must lie, lie among those who breathe forth fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let the glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit for me, but they themselves have fallen in, into the midst of it. Selah. 
My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises. Awake, my glory, awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. So what is David saying in this particular area or passage of scripture? The first thing he's saying you can find in verses 1 through 3. And the first thing is we need to trust in God alone. Okay? Many of us, when we get in a cave in our life, we're not looking for God. The first thing you're looking for is the phone. So you can start calling people. Hey, I'm stuck in the cave again. Can you come, can you come over here? Hey, hey, he did it again to me. I'm, I'm in the cave of my life. Hey, I, they, they, they've done this wrong to me again. I'm in the cave of my life. And God has allowed you to be in that cave to trust him and him alone. Look at the scripture here. It says, be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. Lord, I want, when I go through struggles in my life, I want you to be the only place of refuge for me. A place of refuge is the place I find safety. I find comfort in him and him alone. Listen to what else David says. He says, and in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes. He's, he's, he's expecting this not to last long. He's expecting this to pass. He says, and I will cry to the God most high, to the God who accomplishes all things for me. The God who accomplishes all things for me. I don't do this on my own. He does it for me. He accomplishes all things for me. You see, that's when the time comes where you're moving from self-sufficiency to trusting God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. And all that ways acknowledge him. And he will direct that path. See, it's very difficult because it's hard. It's hard because, you know, we're not used to trusting in God. We're not used to it. We're not. Because our earthly father, our earthly mother, or someone we trusted has let us down, and it's, and it's so hard to put our trust and faith in God. But he's saying to David in this particular scripture, he's like, look, trust me. And David is saying, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my refuge in you. In you is safety. In you is peace. In you is joy. And, and, and this is what I need for my life. So the first thing he says, I'm going to trust in God alone. David, David also backs that up in Psalms 91, verses 1 and 2. And this is what he says. He says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, he is my refuge and my fortress. He's the person that's going to protect me. You see, sometimes we get all wrapped around with who's talking about us, somebody's doing somebody to whom, and, you know, who shot John and all this kind of stuff. He said, no, 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 no. God is my refuge. He protects me. He accomplishes all things for me. That's what this scripture says. He accomplishes all things for me. So number one, trusting in God alone. Number two, I need to transform my thinking while I'm in the cave. I've got to transform my thinking. 
You cannot think the same way and continue to follow God. You can't think the same way. Listen to what David says. He says, God will send forth, this verses 4 through 6, God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword, be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a deep pit for me. They themselves have fallen in the midst of it. Selah. You see, a lot of times we're praying that God would remove us from a situation. And God said, no, I need you to stay here. Say, well, God, you, you don't want this for all your people. And God's like, no, I need, you, I need you to stay here. Because in the midst of this situation and in the midst of this trial, I'm going to show you and I'm going to mold you. And I'm going to make you learn how to depend on me. Amen? Amen? Anybody ever been there? You in that place in your life? And every person you reach out to? What's the name of that game show that had a lifeline, somebody you could call for a lifeline? And everybody you call, their phone is busy? That's where God wants you. Because in those moments, that's when you'll depend on him and him alone. Look at the verse that connects to that. Philippians 4 and 8. This is what it says. Finally, my brethren, Whatsoever is true, what is, whatsoever is honorable, whatsoever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, good report, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. My thinking has that to, ha, must be transformed. So I'm trusting in God and my thinking is transformed. And then the last thing, we've got to give thanks to God. He says here in verse 7, through 11, he says, my heart is steadfast. Oh, God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. Awake my glory. Awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations. Your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds be exalted among the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. Now, I've got to understand that at this point, David is having his own little praise party in the cave by himself. Because he realizes God will never leave him nor forsake him. And in this area in your life, if you are in a cave, you have to understand you've got to trust God. Not only do you have to trust God, your thinking has to be transformed. And you have to continue to thank God while you're going through this. Because he's molding you and making you into exactly what he wants you to be. And as I close today... I'm going to tell you one quick story as you're surviving the cave. My son, uh, I have a son who's eight and I have a daughter who's 10 years old. And a couple years ago, uh, I took them to the pool at the base. And when you go to the pool on the base, if your children want to swim in the deep end, they have to take a test. I knew they had to take a test. So daddy has to get them ready for the test. That's right. Amen. Daddy's got to get them ready. Mama can't do it. Daddy's got to get them ready for the test. I got to get their mama. Mama said, I did it too. <laughs> I've got to get them ready for the test. 
So for six months, I had them swimming, you know, just uh, stroking it out, whatever, whatever stroke they want. I had them swimming, and, and they were getting ready. So, because the test was, hey, all the thing they have to do is swim 20 meters, and they can get in the deep end without floaties on. You know, to be in the deep end without floaties is a big deal for kids, all right? And so, so they had to float, and I said, all right, we, we've got to do this test. And so we're getting ready for this test. And, uh, and so we show up at the pool, first day of summer, first day the pool opens. I walk over to the lifeguard. Proud father, chest is stuck out because I just trained my kids. I said, sir, these two right here, we're ready to take the test. We're ready to take the test. He said, all right, sounds good. He said, all right. Um, he said, put them in the pool, and uh, they're going to swim 25 meters, and uh, then they're going to tread water for two minutes. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't teach them that. I said, when did the test change? He said, well, the test changed this year. I said, how come no one told me that the test changed this year? I got two little swimmers. They're ready to take the test. So I look at my kids. And as a father, I'm like, kids, hey, the test has changed. Are you guys ready to take the test? And they said, my daughter says, yeah, daddy, I'm ready. She's the oldest. <laughs> I'm ready. I look at my son, and he says the same thing. I said, daddy, you didn't train me for this. <laughs> I said, okay. I said, Kyra, do you want to take the test? She said, yes, Daddy. I said, well, KJ, if she's taking the test, Kyra, you've got to take the test also. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I'm putting the foot down. Boom. We are taking the test. Whether you pass or fail, we're going to do it. If you fail, Kyra, if, if you pass and KJ fails, we've got to take everybody out of the pool. We're going home. And so my kids said, all right, Daddy, we're taking the test. I said, all right. So first part of the test, they get in there. 25 meters, and they're both strong. And, man, they look like professionals out there. They look like, man, they were in the Olympics, and they were just swimming. And I'm like, man, good, go. Dad, I'm just down there just cheering them on. And then the next part of the test, the treading water. I said, I've never taught these kids how to tread water. But I got in, and I showed them how to do it. And, and so I put them both in. I got them both at the end of the pool, and I got both of them at the same time and just dropped them right on in there. And they got in there, and if any of you have children that are right around the same age, you know, you can probably script out what's about to happen. They're swimming. They're right next to each other. And my son, Daddy, she's kicking me. She's kicking me. And he goes down. <laughs> Pull him, grab him back out. My daughter keeps going. She gets out. She, gets, she passes the test. I'm like, all right, good job. But then I look at the boy. I said, this is one of those man up moments, buddy. You've got to do it. So I said, you ready to do it, son? He said, I'm ready to do it, Daddy. So put him back in the pool. And I'm standing on the edge. And as a good father should, I'm repeating him all those verses. You know, Joshua 1, 9. You know, be strong and very courageous. <laughs> He's like, Daddy, stop talking to me. And he went down. I grabbed him, pulled him out. So I said, all right, son, you got to do it. You got to do it. We're not leaving. We're not leaving this pool until you do it. So he waits for a little while. He says, I'm ready, Daddy. I said, all right, come on. So I take him down, drop him back in the pool, and I stand there. And I'm watching him. He's moving. He's struggling a little bit. Water's coming up in his face, but he's getting back above it, and he's doing it. The whole time, Daddy's standing there watching him. He's like, he's going to make it. He's going to make it. He blew the whistle, and he made it. It's awesome. Pulled him out of the pool, hugged him, took a picture of him. It was great. 
but I think the same thing applies to us as believers. You see, in the pool of life, God is watching you while you're going through your cave moments. And he says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. The water splashing up around your face. People are talking to you, and you feel like you're going to drown, but God's like, I won't do it. I'm right here to catch you if you fall. But you know what? Sometimes when we do fall, God will pull us out of the pool for a little bit. But then he'll put you right back in there. He said, God, how can you allow this to happen to me? And the only reason why I had to put him back in the pool, because I had to teach him something. I had to teach him something. See, this wasn't about swimming. This was about showing him how to stay at it and to trust his father. You see, at no point in that particular time, at no point in time was his life ever in danger. You know why? The father was always right there. I'm watching. I'm watching. And that's what we have to believe. That while you're in your cave moment, God is watching you. He sees you. He knows what you're going through. He knows the tears on your pillow. He knows the children, the wayward children that have gone off to be far from the Lord. He knows everything about you. He knows your situation. But he wants you to know, I'm still here. I'm still right here. Don't worry. Don't worry. I know, I know the waves are splashing up on your face. You got a diagnosis of cancer. Don't worry. I know. I know what's going on. I know. Husband left. I know. Don't worry. Don't worry. Waves are getting high. Don't worry. Don't worry about that. Just hold on. Do exactly what I keep doing the strokes. Read your word. Pray. Seek my face. And you'll make it. You'll make it. You'll make it. Just like David made it. You'll make it. But you got to trust him. And it's one of the most difficult things to do because we're not used to trusting him with everything. Sometimes we'll give him a little piece here, a little piece here, a little piece here. But we don't give him the whole thing. And we've got to trust him because he's got our best interest in mind. Now, as I close, there are some of you here that you've never trusted. And you're out there in the deep water, no lifeguard, no life preserver vest. You don't even know how to swim, and you're out there. And God is saying, come on, come on in closer. Come on, come on, come on. Trust me. He says, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. He says, come on, come on, come on back in. I'm here to be a lifeguard. Come on back in. Come on, come on. And you're out there struggling, just still trying to do it yourself, hitting the water. And God said, you don't have to do that. Stop struggling. He says, you know, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you what? Don't do it. Stop struggling. Give your life to Jesus. What better place than here right now to give your life to Jesus? If, secondly, if you're here and you are a person that has, has fallen far from God and you said, God, you know what? God, I, I was trusting you. I, you know, I gave my life to you, but I've kind of ventured off in the deep water. 
God is beckoning you back to. He says, come on back. You're out too far. Come on back. I want you to trust in me like you used to do. When you first got saved, reading your Bible, praying, I want you to come back and I want you to do those things that you did before. And thirdly, if you're a believer and you're here and you say, man, I just, I need a place to get connected. I need a place where other believers are going to be praying for me and people are going to be seeking God for me. This is the place. This is a great, great place to do that. So as I pray, there's going to be people down front. I want you to come. Don't let this moment pass you by. Old song says, Jesus is waiting with his arms open wide. Every need that you have, he can supply. Don't let this moment pass you by. Don't let the devil lie to you and say, there is still tomorrow. Because no one's promised that. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you because you are a good, good father. And Father, you are with us and you keep us. And Lord, your hand is always upon us. Father, I pray for the person who doesn't know you today. I pray that they would step now toward the front, that they would start moving and say, God, I want to give my life to you. I pray, Lord, that the enemy takes his hands off him and he and that man or woman makes a commitment today to Jesus Christ. If that's you, go ahead and come now. Father, I pray for the person who's here who is far from you, that has given their life to you, but have swam out far from the shore. Father, I pray that today will be their day that they rededicate their lives to Jesus. If that's you, I want you to come now. And I pray for every believer in this place. Father, that we will be found faithful until your return. Continue to be with this church. Speak to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, feel free to share it with your friends. And as we like to say, love well, live Jesus, and believe big.